there's this question that I constantly ask myself until today. Mm. And that question is, is whether I'm doing correct? Mm. <laughs> um, are we on the right track? Um, are we growing at the right pace? Is, is, is breaking even okay? Um, is hiring this person, this way of hiring okay? I keep asking. I reflect a lot. Um, I think that's a strong symbol of not having that strong confidence in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I always wonder whether I'm on the right track. Mm. I still ask myself that all the time. We are doing this. Am I sure? Who do I ask? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So if I go to a past me, um, or even right now, that's what I try to tell myself all the time. Yeah. Whatever you do is right at this point in time. Mm. You don't need assurance. You're on the right track. Just go, just go, just go. Don't be afraid. That's what I'll tell myself. Yo, what's going on everyone? Welcome to episode two. I got a really interesting guest for you today. Her name is Evangeline Leong. She is a really young entrepreneur creating an interesting AI-enabled influencer marketing solution um, aiming to help her clients find the right influencer to create a word-of-mouth marketing. As we all know today, influence marketing is picking up with a lot of speed and humans in general find it a lot easier to follow other humans than just a brand or a business. Now, she has a really interesting story that goes all the way back from her graduating uni and how not to have, how not having much of a plan actually kind of became her plan. Um, and she's here with us to share her story, uh, share what she's learned throughout her last few years of becoming a massively successful entrepreneur uh, in a very new and upcoming business, uh, which is influence marketing. Evangeline, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. um, second, second guest uh, to this CEO's Confess thing um, and really excited to get into the nitty gritty of your business. How did you create it? Um, obviously, like you fairly young to have been so successful um, and yeah like we want to know how'd you do it so I guess the first question I have especially for the audiences watching is what is Kobe so Kobe is your business um, but give us your elevator pitch what does what do you do how do you do it okay so uh, Kobe is an influencer marketing specialist. We help to tell stories for our brands, uh, which, which are our clients, through the, the words of others. Uh, we are powered by some artificial intelligence. Uh, and we're not just about the popular or the pretty faces that people would commonly know for being influencer marketing. Yeah. But we really focus on getting the relevant people to tell the right stories. Um, and that, that's what we do. That's awesome. Yeah, because it's, I mean, that, that sense of not having just the pretty faces, because I think that's what most people associate with influencers, yeah, yeah, right? that is. Um, but uh, I guess you would know about like the micro and macro type influencers, right? In the having sciences field, in the business field, there are different kind of key opinion leaders and people that really influence opinions. Yeah, yeah. and they might have a smaller demographic but they have a much stronger demographic is yeah that right? it is it is 
Yeah. So like those micro influencers, you have just a bunch of them in your repertoire. Um, so far, we've got five thousand over influencers, and it spans across from the micro to the nano celebrities, human beings, and non-human beings. Oh, really? Non-human yeah. beings. Non-human beings. So <laughs> not about supernatural over here, but we have virtual influencers. We've got cats and dogs. We've got even chicken rice influencers. Oh, so that's they, interesting. It is, of course, powered by a human behind the scene, mm-hmm. but that account or that content is created is telling around a story of, say, a chicken rice, or, say, a, a cartoon, or even a pet dog. So these are accounts as well that can influence. Well, that makes a lot of sense because, like, when I do kind of think back, like, on Instagram, sometimes there are, like, dog accounts, right? Yes. And they're highly popular. Yes. Okay, so that makes sense. So you're actually capitalizing or, like, capturing that that trend and also helping these i guess virtual influencers uh use those different kind of faces product to help other people correct market correct because in the oxford dictionary right the the meaning of influence is how you can cast a change in someone else's uh, behavior or action mm. And, and and it isn't really the society definition of influencer being someone that looks good, takes nice photos on Instagram. Yeah. Anyone that can cast a change, can influence, and that it can come in different shapes, sizes, formats, hmm. humans, non-humans. So it's about relevance. Do you think one day the AI or like the ro- robots, because I know there's like Japanese robots that have like yes. a lot the, of influence. The anime influencers yeah, or yeah. the virtual influencers like Lil Michaela. Yeah. Do I think that is going to be a, a coming trend for sure? And very excited about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. A very different, uh, different viewpoint. So you were mentioning about before, like this word of mouth type marketing, right? Which is basically how influencers are able to then market other products or market other mm-hmm. businesses. Um, why do you think this is so much more effective than just your standard TVC commercial, boom, 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 boom type stuff. Mm. Well, it's um, just just reflecting upon self, right? When is the last time you bought something because you saw it on an ad or because you saw it on a poster? You probably bought it because someone else recommended it to you or it looked good on someone else. You're like, which doctor should I see? Hey, mom, which is better? A lot of times we are making a lot of decisions based on what we trust, Mm. what we choose to listen to. Mm -hmm. And that's where word of mouth comes into really important um, because it gives us that sense of I am um, not just making any decision, but I'm doing an informed purchase decision. And that's where word of mouth becomes really powerful. Because human beings, we are skeptical. The internet gives us a lot of research um, tools to be able to find anything we want. Yeah. And that's how it's really powerful. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think I, uh, I connect very much with just standard advertising. It has to be someone else had it. Um, or sometimes you'll, you, maybe this is an influencer as well, but like someone would post something and they recommend it. No, you're right. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so... When it comes to marketing, uh, influence marketing, right? Like you were already talking about um, the, the definition that everyone knows of influence and marketing. What do you think is the biggest mistake in, in assuming that traditional idea? Like what should people know about influence and marketing that's so different than, um, than the traditional marketing? Um, I think most people, when they think about influencer marketing, it's about 
who is it? Is she famous? Is, does she look good? Uh, why should we go for him or her? But that is the biggest mistake that's been made in influencer marketing mm. because um, if we were to find someone that's popular and we try to stuff our brand into that person, it may not come across as fully relevant. Mm. But it's more important to think about what the brand really wants to achieve first. What story do they really want to tell? What's going to be relevant and resonating to the different audiences? Then we find the best and most suitable, relevant influencer that can help us to execute the story. Mm. And it could be someone that we never imagined mm. um, that could help our brand. So basically, business shouldn't just look at the popularity of individual person because mm. that doesn't exactly sell or hit the point of the targeted audience, right? Exactly. It's more important to find the relevant influencer who actually fits the brand, who actually uh, otherwise, I think I've seen, you know, some of the more popular ones where they just go like, hi, yeah. buy this, right? Yeah, and then yeah. it's like, okay, your your target is either men or something, right? Yeah. Like, and then you're trying to sell like a, a girl's product and it doesn't Maybe really work. Maybe fake followers. <laughs> That's true too. You never know. Right, we have an internal joke about uh, people who hold products and smile. We call it a hold and post. Oh yep. So we have a strict uh, policy that rejects all such content. This oh, okay. doesn't work. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you mentioned fake followers, and I'm going off a little bit here, but can you give us some ideas or insights, especially when people are trying to like get into this, like how do I use influencers for marketing? How how would you capture or find out whether or not a particular individual has let's say like a hundred or two hundred thousand followers right can you find out whether or not those are real followers or not what what should people be looking out for that's a very good question and we get that question most of the time from our clients because everybody wants their advertising dollars to be um, achieving the full potential instead of spending on some fake followers, right? Yes. Um, very thankful for us. We have built a technology that is able to detect fake followers. So mm -hmm. that's very cool for us. But I'll give you a brief about how it works. Um, so there are, there, are f a, there are a few ways to look at it. Number one, you can look at trend analysis, yep. whereby you see if there is a sudden spike in the number of followers or a sudden um, increase in the number of likes or engagements on the content. Mm -hmm. But of course, it, I can be very sneaky and buy influencers um, randomly and without a f fixed frequency so that there isn't a spike, sudden spike. Mm -hmm. So that's where for the trends, there could be a loophole there. Mm -hmm. So something more to it would be to look into the influencers' followers, whether they are really engaging, mm. whether they've got their own feed, whether they are creating content themselves, whether they are in interacting with others to know whether this is actually a legitimate account. Mm. So, so basically our technology helps to serve all this in an efficient way and an a automatic way that we are able to detect. Um, and, and that's a really important point to see about all the fake followers, just mm. like the internet world, right? Um, you know, the, the click farming and the, yeah. yeah, all these things. So for all of you guys potentially watching right now, if you want an easy way to go about the about this go to kobe or get kobe.com and you can is is the thing free to like try out or anything like that yes or? we have a free trial version there you go free trial version you can try it out for free <laughs> if you don't have the time and you want to spend a little bit of that time doing that research make sure you look into the influencer and see the engagement rates and things like that because that will be a key indicator whether or not it's fake so if you have 200,000 followers and zero likes or like just 10, 10 likes or whatever, it's 
pretty obvious. Alarming, that, yes. Yeah, that it's not working. Good stuff. Um, okay, cool. I mean, so that gives us a, a good idea of your business, the market you're in, and some already like insightful tips about how to use or navigate influence marketing. Um, but I want to get into the story now, the, the story of how did you get here? Um, and I think this is an interesting story also because when we did the first conversation, you mentioned about how it started basically when you graduated, right? So I think this will be very relevant for a lot of um, fresh grads who don't know what they're doing or what they want to do, especially here in Asia where, you know, maybe you have more traditional parents and they've already decided your career path for you. And um, Asia is like, I think Asians in general, it doesn't matter if you're in Asia or like, uh, you know, in America, because I, I face this myself, but it's like, there's only a couple paths that is allowed, right? Um, so tell me, wh what did you do right after uni? Um, and how, and how did you start up this? How did you start your career? Like, what was your thought process? Or what did you do? Mm. So um, I studied in Singapore. Yep. Um, and in Nanyang Technological University, NTU. Yep. My parents were very proud of me. Uh, they have a daughter that you know graduated from uni. It was a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. So very naturally, um, I am kind of expected uh, to be joining a large company, have a stable job, yep. have 21 days of annual leave and enjoy the leave. Um, so I went into a bank, which is pretty... Uh, uh, it's good, right? It's good and it's stable. Yeah. And my parents were very proud of me. Like during Chinese New Year, they could say that, you know, my daughter works in a bank. And yeah. it's just so easy to explain what I do, yeah. how proud they are of me. So I did. I followed the usual track. I, I never thought about entrepreneurship a, a little bit here and there. Like, oh, this sounds good, but not really to any of that extent. Mm -hmm. So I just joined the bank. Um, but I just realized that it, it didn't give me that kind of... Um, real fulfillment I was looking for. I was really interested in, in marketing um, and that really made me think twice about the initial decision that I had, which was to, to enter the bank. Hmm. Yeah. How did your parents feel when you came to the decision that maybe finance wasn't for you after they've basically spent the money, got you through all the schooling, they were so proud of you, like you were saying, they were able to flaunt you to their friends or other aunties and uncles. And then like one day you came and said, finance isn't for me. I want <laughs> another path. Yeah. Well, initially they were, okay, so what do you want to do? Right? It is the answer that came after that that really threw them off. Mm. Um, so I said, I wanted to do something creative. I want to do marketing. I want to join a startup. I want to do internet marketing. Well, How that was- dare you? <laughs> yeah, those were the days. Uh, where digital marketing is more more known as e-marketing or internet marketing, which obviously my parents have no idea what's that. Yeah. To them, it's it's hotmail.com, pop-up ads, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. scam, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, virus, mm -mm. sort of stuff, right? Mm. Um, so they didn't understand. And what more, I want to join a startup because I really wanted to explore what's, what's going to be out there. Um, I want to do everything possible for me to be exposed to as many things as, as possible. So... They didn't feel good about my decision. They thought that something went really wrong in my life. I had all my friends um, around me graduated from NTU, joined places like um, tourism boards, uh, mm. PNG, mm. Unilever, and then I was there wanting to join um, 
startup which nobody has heard of. Yeah. So my parents were, they basically thought that I was possessed or something. Like, what's wrong <laughs> with you? Yeah. So a bunch of your friends went off to 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 accomplish or get into like those Fortune 500 companies. Um, how did that? How did that make you feel? That you wanted to do something off the beaten path, and your friends going this other direction, which is financially more successful in, I guess, like in Asian, you know, uh, standards. Um, and then you, you said like your parents were a little bit disappointed as well. Right. So like, how did that all make you feel? It's like having to do something that you want to do that maybe feels right for you, but then everything else in terms of what you were brought up to understand or do technically was like wrong? Uh, well, at first I felt <clears throat> super charged that, okay, I'm going to explore this new world. I was young. Mm. Um, and then when my parents didn't approve of whatever I was doing, um, and my ex-boss at the bank was like, are you watching too much advertising drama? Mm-hmm. Um, come back to the real life. Real life is about finding a stable job, having good bonuses, and then enjoy all you want during your 21 days of annual leave. That is a Singaporean life. Mm. Stop dreaming. So of course, that, that, that initial hope and excitement grew a little bit dimmer. I started to question myself, am I dreaming a mm. lie or am I really watching too much drama? I had self-doubt. Um, and, but I was so charged, right? So I did it anyway. So I joined a startup called Purple Click. Yep. Um, and, and it wasn't easy. Um, the pay drastically dropped. I recall that I was getting $2,800 from UOB, the bank that I was at. Um, as a fresh grad in 2008, it was pretty okay. Um, and then my starting pay at, at PurpleClick was 1008 or 1009 mm. So there's a big difference. Um, a, like 35% drop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're supposed to go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so naturally, with all the disapprovals, but with this very strong charge that I want to make a difference. But... Every weekend, you'd feel a little different when I am meeting my friends from my university. I used to spend more during the weekend dinners. I couldn't because the pay was lower. I was doing a lot more work as well. Um, At some points, I had a lot of self-doubt whether or not this was the right track. Did I really go off rail? Mm. Every of my friends seemed to be flying a lot further and higher and it just seemed like I was going down mm. and a career suicide mm. um, wasn't a good feeling. So how did you eventually, well, clearly you just kept up with it, right? But how did you internalize and, and, and like you said, you struggled with it, obviously. Like I could see myself in that same position. But how did you internalize and accept and, and what kept you just moving forward in this direction instead of saying, cut my losses, go back to finance? Mm, I think I was very lucky because my ex-boss in the startup, now no longer a startup, mm-hmm. a very successful company, um, my boss, uh, ex-boss, Leonard, he, I was lucky to have met him. He is until today my very good friend and mentor. Um, he changed my mind a lot about things that I was going through. Um, when I was looking at how how shitty the work was and how little I was paid and I was whether I'm correct or wrong, mm. um, he gave me really good advice about this is your life. You decide how you want to make full use of it, um, not looking at external environment. Because if you want to do it, you will be able to do it regardless of where you are. 
because the grass is always greener the place where you water it. So if you want to do it, you do it a thousand percent. And even if you are, you know, cleaning toilets, you're going to do the best out of it. So you decide, he said to me. Mm. So I decided and I just went full steam ahead. And, and, and I think that really gave me a lot of encouragement. So I was lucky to have met the right boss. Okay. Mm. That's good. That's good advice. I think like for a lot of the, the potential like young people that might be watching this episode, you basically accepted the fact that you're going to be a Saikang warrior for a while, right? Um, for, for anyone who doesn't know what a Saikang warrior is, that's a Singaporean term for uh, do anything, do all the shit work, right? Um, so, yeah, so you were a Saikang warrior for a little bit. What did having to do that work teach you? Because you're saying everyone went off to do more important stuff, right? Um, you obviously didn't study uni get a degree in all this stuff to just clean toilets and stuff, but you did so anyways. What did that teach you? What did that experience teach you? Um, it taught me a lot about learning is something that you want to do for yourself. Mm. And it's not something, if someone doesn't want to learn, you can put him or her through a five-year master's PhD program and he or she may exit out of it learning nothing. Hmm. But if someone wants to learn and wants to do something, you get to learn something even by arranging a few files yeah. or taking a walk down the garden. Hmm. And, and because I decided that I am going to hold that fate within my own hands, I seek to learn in any single small little thing, even including making a reservation booking at a restaurant. I learned communication. I learned about prioritization, about negotiation, about getting my ideas through. So I think that was my main learning that that once you've decided to do to do things, you get to see things in a very different light and learn from any single possible thing. Would you say you're a character or a person with a carry like a curious mind? Absolutely. I am I am a very curious person, very keen learner. Um I think a lot and I reflect a lot about what I'm thinking about, how I'm seeing things. I, I love to explore things. Uh, my favorite weekend hanging out is, is the library. <laughs> oh, okay. I love reading. Interesting. Yeah. So, but was this something that you've always had or for, for other people who might not, I guess, naturally be curious? I feel like every child when, they, when they're born and stuff, there's like a sense of curiosity and then somewhere along the line gets killed. Right, whether it's like your upbringing or the situations you're in, it someone kills it. How you know if someone has that killed off curiosity? How do you feel, or what kind of advice might you have to bring that curiosity back, that willingness to learn or want to learn again? Uh, that's a really tough question because I, I think I had curiosity in me all along. Uh, and, and as that child, I never had it killed. But if you ask me if someone's no longer curious, then maybe find out something that shocked you and then that might just give you the momentum and gain it all back. Mm. Um, but of course, you, you may see something that you've never seen before and you'll be like, so what, there's so many things out there anyway. But just just remember one thing, that there's 7 billion population out there. There is a simple thing to learn from anyone 
and it's just exciting, right? We want to live a life of fulfillment, um, satisfaction, happiness. Mm, yeah. And a lot of that comes from understanding new things. So something like maybe some of these people have to look inside and internalize before they can really seek out. I'm, I'm asking this question because I think a lot of people these days, they talk about wanting to do this, wanting to do that. And, and I hear a lot of these like Gary Vaynerchuk or like these, you know, the more American um, motivational type speakers, right? And they, they talk about like, don't, don't just say it, right? Like you have to, have to like take a step forward because a lot of people can learn almost endlessly but never take any step forward. And I, I think from what you're saying, it's like if you can't internalize the reason why you can't move forward, then it doesn't matter how much you want to learn yeah, or how absolutely. much you say. Absolutely. Do you know that Bill Gates until today, I think he reads like 10 books a week or something. Yeah. I, I forgot the statistics, but it's just very inspiring, right? Bill Gates, he's so successful already, right? Probably he doesn't need any more to live for many generations, but he's still learning. Yeah. He's still reading a lot of books. Yeah. So who am I? Who are we to yeah. say that it's enough? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That really inspires me. That is true. That is something that Bill Gates always talks about is that he, he enjoys the, the, the knowledge growth thing. So even in markets, like right now, he's, he's like the, the lead of COVID-19 uh, solution for like the medicine, right? But he said like, I don't know, I watch a lot of documentaries where he said, five years ago, six years ago, right? Like it's, it's, it's going to happen and then we should be more prepared. So he's actually funded most of the stuff to like bring that up. Um, but I think that's a really good point. It's like that curiosity is fundamental to then generating more knowledge, general knowledge. And in, in sight of my previous question was that helps you, I guess, what, what was I trying to say? accept the Saikang warrior job and, and learn all these like basic stuff, even though it's not, I guess, deemed successful in society yet. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's the reason why I thought that it was um, enjoyable, um, fulfilling, and I get to make a difference hmm. in the startup. Um, and I really enjoyed those times. I do want to get onto the Kobe stuff, but you you did pull out fulfilling, and I know. So my question is, with your friends, maybe back in the day or even now, can you talk about what is? Obviously, you feel more fulfilled now, right? But how are your friends feeling? The ones who stuck with the beaten path, who have done the thing that they're always supposed to do, are they fulfilled? Do you know? Are you? Do you care to share about this kind of stuff? Um, I'm not sure, but I had a few couple of groups of friends and there are certain friends that I no longer keep in touch with. Um, one of the key reasons was that often when we meet up for dinners, hmm. the conversations was about, should I quit my job? My boss sucks, my work sucks. Why is it this way? Um, and it just, didn't energize me when I was faced with a lot of tasks at work. The last thing I would want to hear is about more complaints. Mm. Um, and I surrounded myself with friends who were quite alternative in their thinking. They'll be like, go on, eventually you can do it. Come on, we are all living these kind of lives. So I did drift away from um, 
certain group of friends mm. and those that I kept you today um, are all people that has achieved something quite different mm. in their lives and I think as we progress we kind of have friends that are more like-minded coming together mm. and for today I'm very glad to be sitting here because a lot of my friends are entrepreneurs yeah like like yourself um, and and it's that like-minded passion, mm. the things that we see and we understand that others don't, mm. that bind us together. Mm. So I think there is a certain evolution in the stage of friends as well. Um, and yes, I did drift apart from those friends who who were not exactly like-minded with me. Mm. Yeah. So the the fact that they, they weren't able to find their their version of fulfillment even having taken the, the the more strategic path of success um that caused that caused you to kind of drift away from those friendships because like although they were making the the big dollars they they just weren't happy yeah. right yeah so that's a good takeaway um, i think that's why a lot of uh, today's conversations like you know just generally on linkedin is like follow your passion and i think this is quite a new idea in asia because like a lot of the younger generations like um, maybe we're on the the spear end of that but like maybe the younger generations these days they they understand that a bit more because there's so much more western material coming here but they struggle with getting the parents approval and things like that but i i'm glad you shared that because i think that will be helpful for a lot of people who will maybe watch this snippet mm. when we create it um so let's just kind of revert back to the Kobe stuff. Um, so you, you, we mentioned that you have like an AI-enabled function in Kobe, right? So how did you go about starting that tech, that building that tech to create that? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs are looking into tech as well, and they just don't know how to start. So how did you start that? Okay, I can't write a piece of code. Right. I don't um, think a lot of people can. <laughs> I'm a business student. Yeah. I didn't study very well. Um, second lower class uh, honors. Um, and I didn't want to start a tech company. Hmm. Right. Although um, I've read a lot of news that is pretty cool. You know, you can have a unicorn and, and sell it for lots of money. Yeah. But I didn't start the company thinking that I was going to build anything about tech. Hmm. I just saw that there was a gap there and I saw that word of mouth influencer marketing is going to be a fantastic solution. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I worked more on the business, I realized that um, a lot of times we were faced with problems like fake followers, mm -hmm. like um, inaccurate pricing per influencer. Mm -hmm. There isn't really like a market rate. Everybody calls their own rates. Mm -hmm. Um, other problems like um, how do you accurately profile an influencer? Yeah. Um, how do you make sure that brands are safer when they engage influencers? How mm. do you ensure brand safety? So I think all these led me to think about ways to be able to bring out um, a more accurate and faster solution. And that then led me to think that, okay, AI is probably a solution. So let's do it. Let's, let's build tech if it helps to fulfill the solution oh ah, okay yeah. so it's not like you randomly just went tech is the new big thing let's just do tech because that's what i actually hear a lot of companies do it's just like let's just jump on tech and then when you ask them like what kind of tech they're like i don't know just tech it 
then it's like, <laughs> oh, that doesn't make any sense, right? But it seems like you you found the problem first, the in inefficiencies maybe, yeah. right? With with the the work, uh, or or how to to get the right stuff to the right client and so forth, and then you found that maybe tech or AI enabled stuff would be able to help create that efficiency. And then yeah. your clients down the line would highly benefit from that. And do you like, does this make you, does this make like the digital or the influence marketing part of your business unique? Is that like a unique selling point for you? Um, it is one of the unique selling points, but we don't focus very much on it. Uh, well, it's just like if you go to a restaurant and they, they say that the the chickens are made with AI and tech. Mm. You only care whether the chickens are good to mm. eat or not, right? Um, well, so AI can be a powerful, unique selling point just to lift up and give that sense of credibility and assurance. Yep. Um, but we don't focus that as the most unique selling point. Mm. We like to focus more on getting the brand story right and mm. getting them to get relevant influencers. And through that, we power it through tech, which is a lot faster, safer. Um, and more effective. So your your tech still takes a, a second seat to the main core of the product. Yeah, it's which like is, a by the way, we have AI, which is patent across eight countries, but we don't put it up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because, yeah, that's interesting because like, you're maybe right. Like no one actually cares about the tech. They care about what the tech Can gives them. Can do for them, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I think that's very yeah. helpful for and a lot of entrepreneurs to to know about this. Yeah, that's 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 the the key about um, understanding what our customers are really wanting, and in influencer marketing, at the end of the day, we're still dealing dealing with a lot of people here. Mm. So um, the need to understand people, um, emotions, the stories, are really really important as well. It's a really combination between art and science. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that tech is like the main bulk of what we do. Mm. It's, it's, it's really taking the back seat. Okay, that's really, that's good because, yeah, I think tech is, it's overrated and underrated at the same time. Mm. Everyone knows that it, it is happening, it should be happening, but everyone's trying to figure out how can they, you know, even with, within Singapore, there's this whole like government push to go digital, right? Um, and then, you know, lots of subsidies here to do that. But then it's like companies, I don't know if they're like looking at it as a solution to a problem rather than just, let's just tech up. Yeah, for right? the sake of. For the sake of teching. Yeah. Right. They're not trying to improve redundancies or efficiencies. They're just going like, let's just take this and just make it tech. Yeah. I have a really funny example. Singapore, don't kick me out for this, but just a little bit of comment. You know, like I have a e-pass, right? The card. They used to like just have all the information there. Now they just have a QR code on the back. And so every time I want to like show this, my info to someone who's looking for it, I actually have to QR code it and then show my phone, which is like totally not efficient anymore. It's like, it's just a card, right? There's no reason to tech this up any further. Um, so that was like one of the, like one example that I was just like, why yeah. why would you need to do yeah, this yeah yeah um so don't do that <laughs> um but okay so once once you figured out that you want to go into tech or or building out that tech um how did you go about starting that process then or what happened so when we thought about okay we need to build tech 
um, we engaged um, third party uh, companies to help us out. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I employed a designer company to do like the UX UI, the wireframes, and then a back end development company. Um, to help us build the rest of things. And we were halfway through it. Uh, one day I received a Facebook message and says from this guy, he says, I'm building something similar. Would mm. you want to join forces? Um, I am a tech expert. So I was like, whoa, yay! I've got someone that's going to come in and save my day because yeah. you know, it was quite a bit trying to juggle everything. Yeah. So I had a conversation with this guy um, and we started work on together. We didn't sign any contracts together to say that, okay, we're committed, you're an employee or anything like that. It was just, uh, well, if things go well, just you know, uh, give me what you think I deserve. So it was mm. all based on trust and, and, and we were just happy. And we started to discuss about what potential features, yada, yada. Um, so two months into that very happy arrangement, there was a little bit of things that uh, were, were starting to show up. Mm. Um, and then he says, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. So un- until this point of, I don't want to do this anymore, it was just all verbal-ish agreements. Verbal, yes. Um, the, 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 the bad thing was like we were halfway through this work with another development company. Mm. So he took over the communications, the liaisons and the codes and whichever product that has been built to, to do that far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and when he said that he doesn't want to work on it anymore. Of course, there were some discussions about um, like uh, how should the arrangement be. Yeah. And then he said, you got to pay me $75,000 for the last two months of what I've put in um, as, as, as the efforts and whatever I've built. Yeah. Um, and that really threw me off. Number one, uh, this was just my savings. I sold my car. I, I worked really hard, used my savings to start this company. I, had, yeah. I didn't have that kind of money. Um, the moment we ended the conversation, I walked back to my desk and I tried logging into the platform that we had a little bit built. Mm-hmm. I couldn't access anything. So he, because he was the tech guy and yeah. you've kind of trusted him yeah. with this verbal partnership agreement, yeah. he when he kind of went backwards on it, or I don't know if backstabbing is the right word here, but went back on his word, um, he then cut you out of your own stuff. Yeah. So I couldn't access all my systems and all that. Well, he happens to have a pretty rich family background. Okay. So, I mean, that's beside the point, right? So at that point, when I couldn't access, which I couldn't access my influencer database, my clients list and all that. Mm. So I I didn't know what to do, right? I got some advice from um, my loyal friends and they said, "Uh, well, if he actually closed off your access, it's kind of like criminal theft. Mm. like he he stole your database and all that you can actually report to the police however if you do that you may trigger a reaction from him and he could send you a lawyer letter to actually sue you for the last two months of whatever work he's done and all that however the legal game is a is a game you play with money you need to employ a lawyer you need to go back and forth um, and at that point, I recall um, that night, um, I went to the police station um, and I sat outside for a long time thinking whether I should go in, make a police report, try to fight and get my company back and get the list back, or should I just let go and rebuild everything from scratch? What are the different options I could? I sat there for a long time. I did not have the courage to enter the police station because at the back of my head, I know I... 
I do not have that financial resources to go for a long lawsuit or yeah. a court case. Yeah. So I did not. Um, I came back um, and I then tried to negotiate and see whether he would, uh, you know, release his excesses. He did release a little bit of excesses here mm -hmm. and there back. Finally, a, a, a legal letter still came my way uh, demanding that I stop using all this. this, all these belongs to him. If I access any of this, uh, I have to pay $75,000 before I use any of that. So I was really quite stuck there. So, I mean, that's like, that's just like a, just good thing gone terribly wrong because it, it seems like you were just like T-boned. Yeah. Right? Just yeah. boom. Um, and then you, you tried to like recover by just having that conversation. Now, you said you, you did kind of get a little bit back, trying to bring back some, some learnings from here. Like, what did you feel... Like looking back on this, do you feel like there was any chance that could have been solved through a conversation? Did you do something wrong? Or did you like looking back now, do you think that was solvable without having to go through the lawsuit stuff? Um, <clears throat> I made a lot of mistakes during that session. And if I could go back and, and, and undo certain things, I would have. And the mistakes I have made is I think throughout our conversation of him helping us to build the tech, there wasn't any clarity about how you're going to be compensated, uh, why are we doing this, and after that, what are we going to do next? It was very, it was, it was, we were just jumping into saying that, okay, this is what's going to happen, the influencers after the next step and all that. We're just operationalizing the product without having that initial conversation and clarity um, about compensation, shareholding, and all that stuff. Um, so what I learned is that it's good to have very good clarity around all these things before mm -hmm. going down to the work or even releasing any confidential accesses, mm. communications. Because mm. that could be quite dangerous and risky. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely sounds like it. Yeah. So, so it's like you need to have that communication first right Clear. off the bat. Yeah. Clear. Yeah. Even potentially put it on paper, put it on writing. Yeah. Right. And I think I really made that mistake because I was really impatient and I wanted to see an uh, end product as soon as I can. Yeah. The business can take flight as soon as I can. I didn't want to waste time on all those non-operational questions because mm. we were just so excited about the product. Mm. Um, and because of this impatience, um, plus a little bit of me didn't really want to confront that difficult conversation yeah. about shareholding yeah yeah so i was very hesitant because you gotta you know you gotta make that uncomfortable negotiation or conversation and and so we we kind of just avoided it and tiptoed around it and okay let's not talk about it and just focus on building our product but then um and i learned that this 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 way of wanting to avoid things does not turn out well so i think in to maybe stay on the lawyer stuff that's like lawyer talk of making sure you do some due diligence, right? Yeah. Like making sure all that kind of stuff is done. Yeah. So regardless, you still got the lawsuit. Mm. Um, so what was the experience like going through lawsuit? Like you said, you, you, you talked about how law is, you know, the, this guy, guy, let's just assume he's a guy. Um, he, he comes from a well-off family. So he has that money backing 
you didn't. And you were mentioning how, like, anyone who gets into law or into a lawsuit, it's、uh, who has the more money, who can fight it out longer, who can survive this thing. And that tends to be a, a, big, a big issue. So, what was the experience like going through that lawsuit and kind of how, how did you navigate that?、Mm. And, like, without going too deep into it, like, you, you obviously won the lawsuit. How did you win? What can someone, if they were facing the same problem, what do they have to think about? What do they have to consider? How do they navigate this、mm. being in your position as well?、Mm. Well,、um, I felt really distraught,、um, worried, sleepless, especially that I got that letter on the January 1st, 2017. So it's like, Happy New Year's. Yeah.、Lawsuit. What a great gift. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, I was,、yeah. you know, I registered a business in 2016, April, and then 2017, we had big plans, right? Very excited. And I received it the first day of the year.、Um, I felt terrible.、Mm. Uh, and I recall crying a lot. Okay. And, and, and not knowing exactly what should be the next steps. It seemed like in front of me, there are only two options. A, Is to give it all up. Okay, fine. I don't have the money to give you, and I don't want to play this game. You want to take the product? Fine. You, you get it. Let me go back to finding a job. And why am I going through all this shit, right? Yeah. Can I say shit? Sure. Thank you. Go、um, back to being a Saikang warrior. <laughs> right. And then option two is to fight it out, you know,、um, and do what I can. And it just seemed to me that option two was not possible,、mm. right? Um, so, I went back to think about who could I talk to. So, I think having、uh, people that you trust and understand you is really important.、Mm-hmm. Um, that would give you that kind of advice. So, I turned to Leonard. Your first boss? Yes. Yeah. Yes.、Um, quite unfortunate, only when things are very drastic and then I'll call him. <laughs> right? <laughs> ever,、um, do, you, do you call him and he's like,、uh, what now? <laughs> well, something along that line, actually. <laughs> but okay, he's, he's, he's nice. So, right. And I called him and I said,、um, I, this is what's happening, and yada, yada. And he just asked me a question, right? Do you want to do, do this business or not? First, can you first decide? Yeah. Very clear cut. Yeah. And then、um, I paused and I was silent for around five minutes, literally, phone silence for five minutes. And he knows that I'm thinking, and he kept quiet as well. And after five minutes of silence, I said yes. And he heard that resounding yes. So now that's what I'm going to tell you to do fight it out, find the best lawyer, write the first letter out, close it,、mm. and then work on your business. Do it. Don't save on a cheap lawyer that's going to, you know, just halfway there. If you really want to do it, go all out, find the best lawyer and fight it out. Know the expenses, forecast it. Borrow money if you have to, but if you made a decision, then do it. And so I did it. I hired a really expensive lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we don't have to say which lawyer it is.、Um, but a really good one. But a good one, right?、Yeah. And they don't come cheap. Yeah. So it sounds like, first thing in this situation, if someone else was in it, they have to really make sure if they're, if they're in it for the long run、mm. because it's a make or break situation, right? You either give it up or you say, I'm going to. Put everything else backing and, and making this happen. What is like do or die?、Uh, I have this 
quote from Ron Swanson that I like to use in my like my general life, but he always says like he has this one line in Parks and Recreation, never half ass two things, only whole ass one thing. <laughs> right? And I think that one that like I find that kind of uh yeah, that that I don't know, that phrase comes a lot often. It's like don't just half half yeah. do stuff, right? If you're going to say you're going to do it, you just do it all the way. But you have to make that decision that yeah. that is what you're going to do. Yeah. And then second is once you've made that decision and you're going to fight for it, yeah. don't cheap out. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fantastic uh, summary. <laughs> I try to summarize every time we have these conversations just to get, um, even for myself, just to have internalized this and le- learned what, what hopefully everyone else will be listening to later down the line. So now you've... You fought it, success. How long did that that whole thing take anyways? Maybe three to six months. Oh, so it wasn't a quick thing. No, it wasn't. It was, it was quite, is three to six months considered drawn out or or like fairly quick in, in law? I think I was lucky that it was three to six months because sometimes things can drag on for years. Mm. So I was really lucky. Um, I was also really lucky this happened to me so early in the business. Yeah, uh, because it it learned it, it helped me learn two things, right? Number one, that I was really committed to this business. If yeah. I could want to do that, yeah, and that was a very good realization for me. Yeah, and number two, it it teaches me a lesson very early in the business, and and helps me to navigate things a lot better. Because after that incident, it was almost three or six months of sleeplessness, worries, um, worst period. <laughs> So, m- minus like the negative part of going through the lawsuit, you mentioned, uh, like you learned something. Like, what what is the the big? So apart from like figuring out for yourself that this is something you want to do, going through the lawsuit over three to six months, what was the biggest pull out from having gone through that whole ordeal? Like, what did you learn from doing this? Like, what won't you ever do again? Well, there's something very tangible that came out of the ordeal, which is I went to file a patent over how we've wrote the product. And that's why today we have a patent and mm. it has become really valuable. So that that's the most tangible outcome. I wouldn't have done the patent if without the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, that's, that's the most tangible learning. Something that I wouldn't have done throughout the lawsuit um, I guess in my daily operations, like talking to clients and all, this case just sat right in my head every single time when I was talking to clients. And I had a lot of that worry that is at the back of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very difficult to just ignore it. And a lot of times I was very distracted because I had this worry. Um, but I guess because I hired a really good lawyer, he was able to reduce that worry to very little. Mm. And what I'm very, really glad that I did was to get a good lawyer that could help reduce that and I could stay focused mm. on the business. Okay, so yeah. by, by having someone that you can trust in terms of, well, you got to pay the money, right? Yeah. But as soon as you were able to trust that individual, they basically were able to remove some of that worry from you. Mm. And in this situation, was that person worth every cent and dime? Absolutely. 
So it wasn't a financial gain that you got, but it's like a mental, yeah, mental gain. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. really good to know. Worth every single dime. So we hit seven digits in sales in 2017. Um, that's our first actual year of operations. Seven digits. Yeah, yeah. Not bad. Break even. That was it. Was profitable in the first year already. So. That's to fantastic. be able to do that, um, I think that money was really well spent. Yeah. It allowed me to really focus on the business, even though you have this thing that's tying on your leg. So you kind of like, you had to spend the money. You went a little bit back, like backwards in terms of financial. But then as soon as you solved that, you kind of pushed through, made yeah. the product. Yeah. And then the, lucky yeah. enough, your first year of sales went. Yeah. And then, you know, after that, you paid off and then you're, you're in green in yeah. the first year. Yes. That's, that's a crazy story because not a lot of businesses ever hit green, even after three, four, five years of trying, right? Yeah. I was very lucky. Yeah. Well, maybe it's not just a little bit lucky. Maybe you made the right choices as well. <laughs> um, so now you're back on track, right? Um, and now you're fully in control again. I guess this is one of the last final questions I have because uh, th throughout the next couple of years of just building and building and building, um, how have you then now scaled your business to where it is now? Because you started off with here and there. I'm sure your team was very small at the time. But now how have you scaled it to where it is today? Mm, well, today we have um, 24 um, colleagues, uh, majority in Singapore. Uh, we've got colleagues in Thailand, uh, Indonesia, Philippines, um, Malaysia. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry <laughs> to my Malaysian colleague that's watching this. <laughs> just slips my mind suddenly. So um, how did we scale to this uh, extent? Um, I think a lot of my previous experience at my previous job uh, at PurpleClick, because um, I was at PurpleClick for almost a decade now, if yeah. you include right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we grew from a really small company to right now, it's a uh, sixty over people. We've got footprints over the 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 the, the region. Mm -hmm. That taught me a lot about uh, running a business, hiring people, retaining people, um, structuring processes, um, the PNL and stuff. So that experience really helped in knowing what to do in Kobe. Yeah. Um, that's one. The second one was um, I got really good colleagues with me. Uh, my co-founder, um, she was she was from um, a, a similar experience. Mm -hmm. She helped me out a lot yeah. in the operations, um, in in everything else. We're very like-minded. Um, we both want the company to be successful. Mm. Um, I've got a a very strong um, core team mm. uh, within Kobe. Yeah, uh, they've been we've been with me for two, three years now already, um, yeah. even though we're just four years old. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the, the people were the ones that really helped me do it. Yeah. To scale. Yeah. So it's like for, because I was, I was expecting more of like you did this or did something like that, but you, you said one was the experience of doing the Saikang Warrior thing where it eventually got you to a place where you experienced a lot more. So it's like hands-on experience, not just like being taught management. So you went through it, um, that, that built that foundation. Then maybe having gone through that lawsuit, 
you then know like, okay, I need to find the right partner, the yes. right people. So yes. that was another piece, right? Yeah. It's like finding the right individual. Um, because those right individuals, uh, I'm guessing if you know who you're looking for, then you're looking for those attributes to mm. add to the company. Mm. And I'm guessing this time you've had that conversation, those hard conversations, and yes. you got some papers signed, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I, I learned this four words. First who, then what. Get the right people, right values, right will. No skills, it's fine. Little skills, it's fine. Of course, if you've got skills, it's a bonus. Yeah. But the values and the will is really important. We'll figure out what we're going to do together. Fine. So what was the... What was the First who, then what? First who, then what? I think that's quite quotable. Mm. Um, thank you. So th I think that helps a lot in terms of like your business growth. In this section now, I want to move on to a little bit more of your personal growth. I know we've touched on it uh, quite a fair bit already going through this experience and stuff. Um, but after having gone through all this, now you're here today. Things are looking up or already up. How, like, what do you find was, what's your perception of past you? Like if you had a chance to find someone else who's in a similar situation that you are in right now, what would you say to them? There's this question that I constantly ask myself until today. Mm. And that question is, is whether I'm doing correct? Mm. <laughs> um, are we on the right track? Um, are we growing at the right pace? Is, is, is breaking even okay? Um, is hiring this person, this way of hiring okay? I keep asking. I reflect a lot. Um, I think that's a strong symbol of not having that strong confidence in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I always wonder whether I'm on the right track. Mm. I still ask myself that all the time. We are doing this. Am I sure? Who do I ask? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So if I go to a past me, um, or even right now, that's what I try to tell myself all the time. Yeah. Whatever you do is right at this point in time. Hmm. You don't need assurance. You're on the right track. Just go, just go, just go. Don't be afraid. That's what I'll tell myself. As long as you're putting your whole heart into it, yeah. right? So there's no right or wrong choice at this moment. Yeah. It's always the right choice if you are going to put everything towards yeah. it. It's good advice. Um, now, I think that's going to help a lot of the graduates or, or because I think in this episode specifically, I think you have a unique story on figuring out this entrepreneurship or, or career path that uh, I feel we're going to try to like see if we, who are the graduates that might want to listen to this one. But um, what kind of advice do you have for people just getting out of school, trying to find their first jobs, maybe thinking about internship? What advice do you have for them starting out their careers or if they're even considering being an entrepreneur? Mm. Mm. I think when, when I want to share my mistake um, so that you can, you can avoid making them, right? Um, don't worry so much about the office or the, the company that you're joining. Um, don't worry at all the pay. 
Mm. Of course, I mean, we are living in Singapore and all that. Pay is a very real thing. Um, don't worry too much about the industry and don't worry too much whether you're making the right choice or not. The thing that you want to be really focusing on is who's going to be your boss. Mm, who's going to be your boss? Yeah. Who is going to help you become a version of yourself that you didn't think you could? He, doesn't need, he or she, the boss, doesn't need to be nice. He or she just needs to help you realize a potential that you never could think you could. And that's all. And, and whatever environment, whatever pay, it's going to come back. But if someone can help you know yourself and know what you're really capable of, that's going to bring you a far, far away. And as a young graduate, I mean, $2,000 versus $5,000, that's, that's not that big a difference when it comes a long way more. Mm. But that amount of experience, um, that amount of things that you can learn, that's just priceless. So, Wor- yeah. So are you, are you saying compound interest of experience is a lot better in the long run than just looking at the financial? Of course. I found the right boss. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, what's his name? Leonard. 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 I don't think I've ever found one like that. I should probably look into that even at my age now. <laughs> <laughs> I just struggled my whole life. I just like hard and just like, I'm going to do everything myself. Um, but yeah, okay, that, that, that helps me too. Um, now, so as, as you've gone through this whole stuff, uh, we've talked a, a little bit about your personal growth and things you've learned as well, but um, what are the top three things you've learned throughout this whole time um, on your personal or business related that helped you, I think I feel like I've covered this already, but it helps you grow, something maybe... Something, a confession, maybe. <laughs> oh, God, I didn't prepare for this. So, like, a, a confession? Yeah. Something that no one is going to normally know. Because a lot of the stuff we did talk about, it, it's been said in various ways, right? But really coming from you, what's something, I guess, unique that, you know, outside of the lawsuit and all these other experiences, uh, and also finding a good mentor... What what are what are the what is that one thing that you feel you did yourself that changed or helped you grow actually? Okay, this is gonna this is this is this is gonna be sounding really stupid on me, but I'm just gonna see you confess, right? Yeah. Okay. So I think my worst trait um is that I sometimes can be too excited and have a lot of blind faith. Mm. Right, just blindly, okay, let's do it um, without um, thinking very much, very evident from the, 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 the lawsuit that I mentioned. Um, and when I trust, I kind of free fall trust. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's how I landed myself with my ex-boss because whatever he says, okay, sure, I wouldn't think too much about it. Mm. So I think this is something um, very silly right to have being so blindly trusting um but in a way it's kind of helped me out as well yeah but it's kind of dumb right to have such blind faith i mean it sounds dumb but i mean me hearing it let me see if i can reiterate and and see where where someone can learn from this 
if you haven't had that kind of odd blind trust that you naturally had, you wouldn't have had these situations that gave you the experience. And you meeting Leonard was based on this blind trust, even blind trusting in yourself when you first chose to like go do this non-financial thing, right? But the blind trust, if you didn't have the blind trust or the willingness to just trust and go with the flow, you might not have ended up in certain situations. So maybe along the ways, it also sounds like sometimes you just need to accept that you're not in control, trust that the process or something will work out eventually, and then just put your whole heart into it and then see what happens. Because even with the bad stuff, uh, having heard your story, it's, it's like you wouldn't be here if you didn't go through those hardships, right? That's true. And Very nicely put. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I do my best. I do my best as a, a host and interviewer. Um, and, and yeah, like, isn't that what entrepreneurship's all about and starting a business? That's true. So Evangeline, just before we end here, um, what kind of final advice or knowledge insights can you give the audiences who potentially are watching right now? Um, find the right people people that's going to guide you or teach you or you're going to work with. Um, that's, that's really important. The second one is to have blind trust. <laughs> I guess that worked out for me. Um, it's going to let you fully absorb all the experience because there is zero doubt in you. Um, it could turn out bad. It could turn out good. Um, but it at least lets you enjoy every bit of that moment. Um, and the third one is make decisions. Um, I think a lot of times we don't know whether we should do this or don't know whether we should do that, what will gonna happen. But once we decide, okay, I'm gonna do it. Uh, once a decision is being made, then a lot of things can, can move on fairly quickly. Yeah. All right. I think great, great three advices. Evangeline, thank you for coming in today. Uh, really appreciate all this. And for everyone who's watching or listening, um, stay tuned for the next episode. Uh, we'll be having much more of the snippets uh, available on LinkedIn and YouTube. So if you haven't followed those pages, go ahead and follow those pages right now. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can either watch this video, which you're probably already doing, or you can listen to this on podcast, whichever way fits you the best. Evangeline, thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy having you on here. And I haven't talked about this lawsuit publicly before in ever. So we'll see how it goes. Enjoy it. All right. Thanks, everyone. Peace. Hey, so you're here at the end of the interview. I hope you found that all very insightful and interesting because I know I did. Now, if you haven't done so already, please follow us on our CEO's Confess page on LinkedIn and Facebook so you can keep up to date with anything new that's happening and also get more bite-sized pieces of content. So I hope you tune in to the next episode, but until then, Jikoi out. Peace.